obviously it's a wonderful time of excitement for our nation, isn't it? Whether you're an immigrant like me, or whether you've lived here all your life, there are, there are significant markers in the nation's history. And this year is a significant year for us in the UK. We have the Olympic Games. We have many sports events over summer. We have the normal things like Wimbledon, and the South Africans are coming here to play cricket. And the English rugby team is going to South Africa to play rugby. And there's going to be the Olympic Games. And there's the European soccer thing that's starting now on the 9th of June. There's lots of sport. It's going to be great for all of you that love sport. But also, most amazingly, it's the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. And I'm sure you all know the details of that. But I, I just wanted to remind you, it is quite a significant thing. She's only the third, the third monarch ever to reach this kind of milestone um, of, of rulership. The first was George III, was the first monarch to uh, have 50 years on the throne. And the only other one has been uh, Queen Victoria in 1897, and she celebrated a, a diamond jubilee as well. And so Elizabeth, our queen, she came onto the throne uh, in, she was 6th of February 1952, and the coronation actually took place the following year on the 2nd of June 1953. And so she celebrated a silver jubilee in 1977, her golden jubilee in 2002, and this weekend marks the 60th um, year of her reign. And so that's 60 years, and that 60 years, here are a little couple of facts for you. She's been a monarch over 16 nations. She's served with 12 different prime ministers. Isn't that amazing to think? We know these guys get elected and then they get de-elected by the, <laughs> by, by the people. And um, so 12 different prime ministers she served with. Uh, 175,000 telegrams she sent to people who've celebrated 100 years, people who've lived to be 100. Uh, it's amazing. 175,000 people have been lived to be centenaries in the last 60 years. Isn't that quite amazing? I, I thought it was quite rare, but it's obviously not so rare. 175,000 people have um, been centenarians. And then she's answered three and a half million letters in 60 years. Three and a half million letters. Oh, God bless her. I mean, anyone who could do that, uh, we need to celebrate, eh? <laughs> three and a half million letters. But, um, I mean, it's a, a magnificent moment for us in this nation, but, and I've, told, I've been told there's going to be nine and a half thousand Nine and a half thousand street parties over the next couple of days. Isn't that amazing? Nine and a half thousand? Who's got a street party in their road? Yeah, we've got one in a couple of roads up. And how many of you have, are having like street party things, maybe, that you're part of? Part of you? No? Oh, okay. Well, there's going to be nine and a half thousand, all right? Um, but I'd like to talk to you this morning about the Jubilee of all Jubilees, all right? In English, the word jubilee simply means jubilation. It means a great celebration. But in the Bible, the word jubilee has got a deeper meaning than that and a most amazing meaning. And I want to point you this morning to the jubilee of all jubilees. And that was when Jesus Christ came and he gave himself for us. And so I just want to look at this theme of what is a day of jubilee? What does it mean? And what does the Bible teach about it? All right? And um, I want to have a look. Uh, I'm referencing a book by a guy called Robert Beecham this morning, which I read this week. But... The year of Jubilee was an amazing thing in the Bible, uh, it's, and it was the most unusual celebration that Moses commanded the people under the Old Covenant to, to, to uh, celebrate the year of Jubilee. And most people only would have 
celebrated this once in their lifetime, and some perhaps would not, not even have celebrated it. But two peculiar things happened in the year of Jubilee. First of all, every Israelite that had sold themselves into slavery was set free. And secondly, all land that had been sold in that period of time that belonged to, the, to a particular family, in the year of Jubilee, it reverted back to the original owner. So that meant that for the Israelites, no one could ever be in permanent slavery and no one could ever permanently lose their inheritance. Isn't that an amazing thing? So you can never be permanently a slave or you could never permanently lose your inheritance. And uh, the word, English word, Jubilee simply means celebration, jubilation. But the Hebrew word, Yobel, Y-O-B-E-L, it means the blowing of a ram's horn. It means a trumpet blast. And the ram's horn on the Day of Atonement, which was a particular festival that was celebrated by the, the Jewish people, as the ram's horn was blown, the year of Jubilee was announced in that way. And so I'd like to try and kind of speak around this theme with you this morning. And to do that, you have to understand a couple of things that are uh, part of this idea of the day of Jubilee or the year of Jubilee. The first is the Sabbath, all right? The Sabbath. Uh, observing the Sabbath under ceremonial law, again, like we're talking about the Old Covenant, and uh, I hope as I preach this morning, you'll be celebrating in your heart that you are no longer under the law, all right? Because here are some things about the Mosaic law that are, that are, are interesting. <laughs> okay, so... The Sabbath, the idea of a Sabbath was part of the ceremonial law that Moses gave uh, to the people. And what that meant was every seventh day, uh, they were to rest. They were not to work. They were to abstain from all work. But the teaching of the Bible, the idea of the Sabbath, is much wider than just one day a week. It also applied to, uh, uh, applied to, um, uh, the seven festivals, the festivals that the, the Israelites celebrated. It also applied to a particular year. Every seventh year was to be a Sabbath year, was to be a, a year of rest where the land was allowed to rest. And then every 49 years, seven times seven, every seven multiple, multiples of seven years, every 50th year there was to be a day, a, a year of Jubilee. And that had a particular significance for the nation. It's interesting that the observing of the Sabbath was the only uh, part of the ceremonial law that was included in the Ten Commandments. All the other Ten Commandments have to do with moral things, like do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not etc., etc. But this is not a moral commandment. This is a ceremonial thing that they were commanded to do, and it is the only ceremonial thing that's included in the Old Covenant in the Ten Commandments. And if you, uh, I'm sure you know this, but uh, in Leviticus it says, in the Fourth Commandment says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. On the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. On, on that day you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor the animals, nor the aliens within your gates. In six days the Lord made the heaven on, and, and the earth and the sea and that all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blesses the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so the ancient Israelites, they understood this literal day of the week, which corresponds to our Saturday, was a strict command not to work. And so you get all those kind of things that uh, Jewish people do to observe the law. 
Um, so like, for example, the law says you can't work, but it says you, you can sail, you can, because you're not working when you sail. And so a lot of uh, people, when they drive their cars, they put um, a little thing of water under their bottoms, because that means that they're not driving, they're not working, they're sailing. I kid you not, this is true. This is absolutely true. Uh, these are the ways that people have got around the law to make the law work for them. It's absolutely true, right? But on that day, they were supposed to refrain from all work. It was a sign of covenant between them and Yahweh, God. And it was to be a, a special day, a Sabbath day, set apart, a day of rest. And it was so strictly enforced that in Exodus 31 verse 1, it said, uh, on this, those that did not observe the Sabbath, those that did kind of work were to be executed. So it says there in um, Exodus 31 verse 1, no work is to be done on the seventh day is to be a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Are you not glad you're no longer under the law? All of us that play sport on Saturdays under the law would be executed. All of us do any work on Saturdays under the law would be executed. Now, I don't want to be under the law anymore. <laughs> Jesus fulfilled every law, and we are free in him. All right? And so... I want to ask you this morning, why is this ceremonial commandment, why is it included? Why is it included in the, in the, in the Ten Commandments? Um, well, I want to give you three, three reasons. The first is this, that the Sabbath, this idea of rest, embodies the gospel. It embodies the gospel. What is the good news of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is that you and I do nothing to earn salvation. We simply rest in what Jesus has done for us. We come to the cross, dirty, rotten scoundrels, and we are forgiven, and we have the grace of God poured out in our lives, and we do nothing to earn it. We do nothing. We simply come as sinners, and we leave forgiven, and we leave different people. So the idea of Sabbath, of rest, it observes it and embodies the gospel. Secondly, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Slaves don't have a day off, do they? And so this was a whole uh, absolutely and new and revolutionary idea that Moses brought. And thirdly, as we're going to see now, the Sabbath is the foundation of all the other festivals that the Jews observed. And this idea of rest is crucial to all of that. And I want to have a look at um, the festivals quickly, and then I'm going to look at the, the year of Jubilee. And ultimately, we're going to celebrate Jesus, because he is the, the Jubilee that has come to us. All right? And so all the other celebrations of the Old Covenant embody this idea of not having any work that needs to be done. And Pentecost, do you know Pentecost is a Jewish festival? Pentecost is the Greek name of a Hebrew word, which is Shavuot, which was the festival of weeks. It was one of the festivals they celebrated it. And in Leviticus 23.15, it says this, After the day of the Sabbath... The day you brought the wave offering, count off seven weeks, count off 50 days up until the, after the seventh Sabbath, and then present another offering of new grain to the Lord. And so they were to count off seven weeks after this, the, this uh, Sabbath. And uh, the seventh Sabbath was the day of Pentecost. It was a very special day in the Jewish calendar. It was a special day among special days. It was a very special festival, Pentecost. And that's why it's so amazing that the Holy Spirit chooses to pour himself out on Pentecost. It was a Jewish festival that they would celebrate. And so, when, we say, when I say it was a festival of festivals, uh, the, what I'm trying to say is when I use a phrase like the King of Kings, it means that there's an exceptional king who is so excellent, he's above every other king, and all other kings bow down to him. Right? 
And so it's that kind of idea of, of, um, of these festivals. They, they were very significant times in, in the calendar for, for the Jewish nation. So Pentecost, one of the festivals, it was a Sabbath, but it was a very special Sabbath. Uh, it was um, a very special day. And the seventh day of the week, the, the seventh um, day of the week is, is, is special. The seventh month of the Hebrew calendar is also a special month. Okay? So there's these multiples of seven that happen all the time. In the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, there are three festivals, and I'm sure you've heard of these. The first is the Festival of the Trumpets. It was also on a Sabbath. The second is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, which I'm sure you've heard of. And on the 15th day of the month, there was a third festival which went on for eight days, and it was called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths, and that's where they celebrated coming out of Egypt, and they make these um, booths out of um, stuff, and they celebrate, uh, we can't go into all the details now, but they celebrate those significant things. So in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, it's a very special month, and there are three festivals that take place. So there's this idea, Sabbath, every seventh day. The seventh month of the year, very special, and it has three festivals. And then every seven years is a very, very special year. was a very special year under the Old Covenant. Um, it was called a sabbatical year. And that's why in uh, ministry and other, in other services, people sometimes take a sabbatical after every seven years. And the uh, idea is that you get rest, that you just take time out to hear for your life and to hear God and, and to, to get some kind of perspective again. So this idea of Sabbath. And if you read in Leviticus 25, uh, the first four verses say this, The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Every six years sow your fields, and every six years prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow the fields or prune the vineyards. And so in the seventh year, they were not to do that. It's interesting to, to note ag agriculturally, that's quite good practice, to give the land a rest. God thinks of all these things, doesn't he? And so it was good that they gave the land rest so that the land could re recover. And so Sabbath day... Everyone must rest. Men, women, masters, servants, even animals. The seventh year, same thing was to happen. Everyone was to rest, and now the land is to rest as well. And it's amazing that God has built this thing of rest into how he viewed creation. We, are, we all need food, we all need sleep, we all need rest, and it's how God has made us. And so, are you getting this thing now? Sabbath, festivals, year of jubilee, right? Are you, um, uh, jubilee year. And then every 49 years, there was to be a jubilee year. And Leviticus 25, 8 says this, um, Count off seven Sabbaths of years, and uh, seven times seven years, so that seven Sabbaths of years <laughs> amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the Day of Atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land and consecrate this year and proclaim liberty throughout the year to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return his family property and each to his own clan. And like I said, this is a very special time. If you had lost your property, your land, it was returned back to you. If you had sold yourself into slavery because you had become poor and you couldn't support yourself, you were released from that slavery again and you started again. And so this is a momentous occasion. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing where slaves are set free and an inheritance is promised. 
Now, just to understand this um, a little more, more fully, let me say this, something of the historical background. For more than 80 years before the Exodus, before, before um, they were released out of Egypt, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. They had no freedom and they had no possessions. They had no inheritance. When they come out of Egypt and they reach the land of Canaan, what does Joshua do? Joshua divides the land equally amongst the tribes, that each tribe has its own inheritance, all right? Every adult male, therefore, every family becomes a landowner. They have a stake. It's their permanent possession, and they never lose it, all right? And uh, if a man became poor, he could sell himself to redeem that land, but it was only a temporary thing and would always revert back to him so that he would always have an inheritance. And um, when the great day of atonement came and this year of jubilee came, uh, if he had fallen into debt, if he had fallen into a place of losing his land, he got it back again. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And how many landless slaves in poorer countries in the world today could benefit from something like this if we had some kind of uh, system like this? So here's, I'll just try to paint this picture of these, um, the laws of the Sabbath, the festivals, the sabbatical years, and the jubilee year that God gave through Moses, understanding that's all part of the Old Covenant and we're not under that again. So my point would be then, if this is all true, what significance does it have for us? What, is it, what does it mean for us? We no longer have, we're no longer under the law. It doesn't, in that sense, doesn't mean anything. Um, but I want to just show you a very, very interesting thing that, that I, I, I discovered this week. It's not recorded whether the Israelites observed these jubilees after the time of Moses. We don't know whether they did. There's no further mention of them in, outside of the book of Numbers. But it is interesting when you look at the history of, of Israel that God supernaturally, sovereignly makes some things happen in the history of Israel that coincide with jubilee years. It's absolutely incredible. And this is what got so me excited. There are five absolutely significant events in the history of redemption that occur in Jubilee years. Okay? And so if you do the math the way I want to just work it out, it's this cycle of 500 years, which is the principle of, of, these, um, of the Sabbath and the day of Jubilee. Every 50 years is one cycle, etc., etc. And so if 500 years is, uh, is a cycle of a jubilee of jubilees, etc. And so, if we look at Adam here, Adam sinned and falls, all right? God has a plan for man. He's got a plan to redeem humanity. And the first part of his plan is that Abraham is born. And Abraham is born exactly, in terms of the Bible chronology, exactly 2,000 years after Adam falls, Abraham is born. It's exactly 40 jubilee cycles from Adam to Abraham. It's incredible. So, this is the first Jubilee cycle. And we can't, we can't, we can't ex- over, uh, emphasize the importance of Abraham. I've been looking a little bit at the life of Abraham as I've been looking at James. But it's the start of God's redemptive purpose for us. He starts initiating, he initiates everything with Adam, uh, with Abraham. Without Abraham, there would have been no Israel, no Moses, no law, no Exodus, no Egypt, no Babylon, no Jesus, no redemption. Without this man hearing God's voice, that's why he's called the father of our faith, 
and there's a new beginning. There's a beginning with Abraham, and he leaves this place called Ur, which is a place called the Chaldeans, which is actually in the land of Babylon. Isn't that amazing? It's in the land of Babylon, and God calls to Abraham and says, I want you to leave this land of Babylon, leave Ur, and I want to give you an inheritance. I want to give you a new land, and I want you to be free. So right in the beginning of Abraham's call, there are these two ideas, freedom from slavery and an inheritance which is your own. Absolutely incredible. And so, we've read it before, but uh, the first recorded words that Abraham hears from God are, leave your country, leave your people and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And, start, and, he, and he starts this um, journey with God as I've been describing over the last while. And in that is the seeds of Jubilee, the seeds of this great thing that God does. He's going to give Abraham an inheritance and he's going to give him freedom. And I want to show you this morning that in every these other four events that we're going to look at, they all have those two things. Being set free from slavery and having an inheritance. I want to say to you this morning that God wants to set you free from slavery of, of sin and God wants to give you an inheritance. And he wants to give me an inheritance. And that's why he sent Jesus to set us free from the slavery of sin which leads to death and to give us an inheritance in him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what the gospel is about, alright? So then, 500 years after Abraham, what happens? Well, by this time is that the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. They've been slaves in Egypt. And exactly 50 jubilees, 50 jubilees from Adam, exactly on the jubilee year, there's a great celebration for them because Moses leads them out of Egypt. Exactly in the year of Jubilee, two and a half thousand years from Adam, the second amazing event happens and they are released out of Egypt. And it is a wonderful Sabbath for them, the idea of, of um, rest. They were able to rest from their hard labor. Um, it was the ultimate fulfillment of this thing of Jubilee, this thing that God wants to release from slavery and give an inheritance. And so it's the greatest, it's the greatest example of people being set free from slavery uh, in the natural sense that the world has ever seen. And um, it starts this process of the, of the Israelites getting a physical inheritance of land themselves that God had promised to them. And so there's the second amazing thing of the Exodus. And it's, it's, it's interesting that in Exodus 19.16, it's on the day of Pentecost, when the Day of Atonement has come, uh, and it's, 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 the, the, it's the, 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 the Day of Pentecost, it says in Exodus 19.16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, there were thick clouds over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast was sounded, and everyone in the tra- camp trembled. Why? Because they were celebrating Jubilee. They were celebrating this amazing festival, and it was exactly at the time that they were released from Egypt under Moses that it happens. It's incredible. It's incredible. If you've heard this all before, well, just hear it again, all right? If you, hadn't heard, if you haven't heard it, I hope it encourages you. And I hope it gives you a sense of what God wants to do in your life. So there's this natural liberation of slaves, right? And uh, it's interesting when Moses and, and Elijah and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, it uh, says in Luke 9, verse 31, this is the literal translation of that verse. It says, they spoke together about the exodus which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? The Mount of Transfiguration uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking about the Exodus, what he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. 
And what was he about to fulfill in Jerusalem? He was about to set all of us free from the slavery of sin. He was about to give us all an inheritance. Moses had done it in a physical sense. He had taken the people out of Egypt, and they had a physical inheritance, and they had a a future. And now Jesus, for all humanity, by his death on the cross, was going to give us all a hope, a future, an inheritance, freedom from sin by being obedient to go to the cross. It is incredible. And so, the third thing I want to say, 500 years later, so we have Abraham's birth, we have the Exodus, 500 years later, again, another cycle of this jubilee, this idea of jubilee, is this amazing moment in the, in the history of Israel. It's the high point of their national history. During those 500 years that they'd, um, they'd uh, wandered through the desert under Moses, after that, Joseph, uh, Joshua had led them into Canaan. And what happened in Canaan was this, just to summarize the whole of the, that history in three sentences. They had three great kings. The first was David, uh, Saul. And Saul, what did he do? He defeated the Amalekites. The Amalekites were their greatest enemy. Saul manages to defeat the most powerful enemy that they have, the Amalekites. Secondly, David comes along, he builds on that foundation, and he has victory after victory after victory after victory, and uh, then his son Solomon, is the crowning glory of all of this, is Solomon amasses this amazing amount of wealth, and uh, this, the kingdom is the biggest that it ever is under Solomon. He, he um, builds these huge buildings, and the pinnacle of this is that Solomon builds the temple. He has the privilege of building the temple, and it's a great and wonderful occasion when the the, the temple is dedicated. And the exact year, and this is why it's incredible, I don't know if Solomon could have known this, but the exact year that the temple is dedicated is 60 jubilee cycles from the time of Adam. Exactly, to the day. And on that special occasion, what happens? If you know the story, 1 Kings 8, it says they are worshipping together and the glory of the, of the Lord so fills the temple it comes like a cloud and they cannot stand to, to serve Him anymore. They have to fall flat on their faces. And this moment in, in, in Israel's history is the completion of everything that had begun with the Exodus. They have been liberated from slavery, they now have a physical kingdom, and they have a temple, and it's the high point of their national history, and everyone has an inheritance, a physical inheritance, and they have their own land, and it's like a high point in in Israel's history. So before this, they'd been oppressed by the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Philistines, and unfortunately, because they turn away from God, because they start worshipping other gods, they end up in Babylon, in spiritual captivity, and there they are oppressed by the Syrians, the the Babylonians, and the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, all oppress them. But under, for this brief moment, this this wonderful moment, under Solomon and David, they are totally free. They have an inheritance, have rest from the enemies, and they're able to possess this land and enjoy their inheritance. And then, like I said, the fifth thing, for the next 500 years, the fourth thing, right, Next 500 years, there's this unhappy period. If you read uh, the Old Testament, there's this unhappy period in, in um, their, their, their history where there's decline in Israel, they, uh, the unbelievable thing that happens because God is a God who cannot lie, says, I will give you an inheritance. He promises Abraham. He says, I will give you a land. But they lose their land. They lose their inheritance. 
and they end up in Babylon. How is that possible, that a God who cannot lie allows his people to end up in Babylon? They had gone from being a rabble of slaves without an inheritance to a powerful independent nation with an inheritance. Now again, they become slaves in a foreign land. Well, what happened? Well, the second captivity is different from the first one, the first one in Egypt. It's a judgment because of their sin. And if you read the story, most especially it's a judgment of the idolatry, that they begin worshipping other gods. It's a judgment on their religious sin. And God says, okay, I'll give you over to your religious sin. The things that you worship, I'll give you over to those things. And so they end up in Babylon. And Babylon is a picture of man, man, mankind's religion. It's a picture of every kind of man-made religion. And uh, people are held captive by different idolatry. That's held the true people of God captive. And that's why what Jesus does is so incredible, that he comes and he sets us free from that. And so if you know the story, there's Daniel and Nehemiah, and uh, they confess this, the nation's sin, and they ask for deliverance for God's people. And what happens is that this guy called Cyrus is the king of Persia. He remembers a decree that has been made, uh, that the Jews should return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And if you know the story of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, that decree is issued uh, by Ezra, in Ezra's day, and it's exactly, the time it was decreed, exactly the seventh, 70th jubilee from Adam. Exactly. 70 jubilee cycles. And they are set free. They once again leave Babylon, and they go back to Jerusalem. And there's this literal picture in the Scripture of uh, Babylon being a place of spiritual captivity for God's people. And then lastly... That's the four things. Lastly, 500 years later, after they've been released from Babylon, we reach the times of the New Testament. And Daniel prophesied exactly about this time, and it's uh, in Daniel. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about the people and the holy city to finish their transgressions, to put an end to their sin, and their land to atone for its iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both your vision and the prophet's and to anoint a most holy place. That's what Daniel prophesies. And 500 years later, the greatest event in the history of the world happens. Jesus is born, and he dies, and he's resurrected. And you want to hazard a guess? It's, it's exactly 80 cycles of Jubilee from the time of Adam that Jesus is born. It's amazing year of Jubilee. And so the children of Israel were set free from Egypt in the Exodus. The Jews were set free from Babylon after the 70 years of captivity. And Jesus, as he's raised from the dead, breaks death, breaks sin, breaks all those things for us. And Matthew 27, 52 says, on that day, the tombs were opened and the bodies of many saints who had slept were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It's incredible, isn't it? After Jesus is resurrected, some of the old, the old saints that had already been asleep were raised and went around the holy city talking to people. Absolutely incredible. So there's this expression in the life of Jesus of the fulfillment of all of this idea of jubilee that he's freed us from sin, that he's given us an inheritance. And all those other pictures point forward to what Jesus ultimately came to do. And if you have a look at Jesus' ministry, the, t t the moment he begins it, there's a clear reference to Jubilee. 
because he says in the Nazareth, in the synagogue, he takes the words from the scroll of Isaiah, and what does he say? He says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What year is the year of the Lord's favor? It's the year of Jubilee. It's the year when everyone is set free, where you get your possessions back if you've lost them, where you're set free if you've been a slave and you're no longer a slave anymore. Isaiah 61. It is absolutely incredible. And only be referring to the day of Jubilee. And so his whole life, his whole ministry, Jesus, he goes about, after declaring that, he goes about delivering people from demonic oppression, from sickness. He goes about telling people that they can have forgiveness of sins. And this culminates, this amazing ministry of Jesus culminates uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. Every single one of us can receive the Holy Spirit in a different way. And we too proclaim the same good news to everyone that we can, that there is liberty in Christ. There is freedom in Christ. You can be set free from your sin in Christ. You can, if you've been a slave to anything, that slavery can be broken, and God has an inheritance for you. He has a future for you. He has a destiny for you. He wants you to prosper in every way. Man, that is good news. And we can enjoy that because of Christ, because of what He's done. And so I want to leave you with that thought as we, as we remember this Queen's, uh, Queen's Jubilee. And ultimately, there's a far greater, more magnificent Jubilee. Uh, it's wonderful to celebrate with the nation. It is absolutely, I'm not minimizing that. It's a wonderful thing. But there's something much more magnificent than that. And that's what Jesus came to do. And the whole of the Old Testament, through Abraham, through the Exodus, through the exile, through the people coming back from Babylon, to the birth, the life, the resurrection of Jesus, they all point to this magnificent thing that Jesus has come to set us free from slavery. He's come to set us free that we can enjoy an inheritance with Him. And all of us can enjoy that because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? I hope that encourages you. I hope it gives you a sense of something greater that we can celebrate at this time. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to celebrate together. But let's pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for your work in our lives and we want to thank you for your kindness to us. We want to thank you, Father, that you've had a plan for the redemption of man ever since Adam fell. You had a plan. And we thank you, Lord, that you called Abraham. We thank you, Lord, that he obeyed you, that uh, he left his own people in his land and he went on a journey with you. We thank you, Lord, that he's a father to all of us that walk by faith. We say thank you for that, Lord. We, we, we say thank you, Lord, that you, 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 you desired a people, that you wanted a people for yourself. And, and the whole of the Old Testament story is, is that story of you getting a people for yourself who would worship you, who are, are those that honor you. And I uh, just want to th- reflect on those, those magnificent moments in Israel's history, Lord, where they were set free from, the, from slavery, where they, where they um, obtained an inheritance under David. And uh, even though that was lost for a while, we thank you, Jesus, that you came. And you came to fulfill all things. You came to fulfill 
all of the law. You came to redeem us and and give us a hope and a future. And and you came that we might enjoy an inheritance that you have for us. And every one of us, every family can enjoy that because of Jesus. And we want to say thank you this morning, God. Thank you that you've given us inheritance. Thank you that you've set us free from all that holds us back. And we want to celebrate that this morning and say thank you so much. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and you'd come and minister to us now. I thank you, Lord, for this uh, community, this family of friends. And God, we want to encourage each other now. We, we want to just go and pray that you would come upon us, that you would empower us, that you would speak to us of, the, of the, the plans that you have for us, to give us a hope and a future, to prosper us. Just thank you for Colin's testimony this morning, Lord, of your faithfulness in his life. And even in the lean times, you've had something set aside for him that he's beginning to enjoy. We want to celebrate with him. We want to say thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to him and his family. Thank you that you've got an inheritance for them that they're beginning to enjoy. And so we thank you now. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that... um,